You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, good morning. How is everybody in North Valley doing? <clears throat> oh, it sounds really exciting. You know, that, that sounds like a golf clap, you know, that kind of thing. Hey, it's just good to be here. I, just before I even start, I just want to say how grateful, how thankful I am to be part of the teaching team here. I mean, it is a delight and uh, actually know people and they know me and it's just, it's just really awesome. And I, I'm just so thankful for Pastor Ryan, Pastor Josh, and all. it's just, it's just amazing. So I'm very, very grateful. And I'm grateful for this series that I have a chance to participate in. Uh, but I want to start off by just kind of telling you if, if when you were a kid, if you did what I did. As a kid, I had this a little bit of a, a pretending, you know, kind of spirit about me where I pretended to be something. And my favorite go-to pretend was Superman. Yeah, I know, hard to believe. And, you know, Superman, in fact, I would go and, you guys got to be honest, and I would safety pin a towel. Okay, how many of you, come on, be, oh, you know, the rest of you, look around, the rest are liars. Anyway, you know, yeah, you know, and I'd run around and we had a jungle gym, you know, and I'd run fast enough, I wanted the towel, you know, to kind of float and all that kind of stuff. That was my kind of go-to pretend kind of thing. But when you get older, life happens, right? And even though some of you are probably still putting the towel on and all that, I, I get that and stuff. But your pretending is different. My pretending is different. Your pretending might be something like hitting it big. Your ship finally coming in, hitting the lottery. What would you do? It's, it's kind of like you get interviewed by the, the, the news outlets when the, when the lottery gets up to a half billion dollars. You know? What would you do with a half billion dollars? And we all have at least a portion of our thinking is, well, I guess if I did this would happen. Or, or maybe your thinking is, is, is different. Um, maybe you're thinking, boy, if I'm pretending, what would it be like, talking from a guy, every girl in the world just adored you. You know, I mean, you could have this relationship and, and there are no consequences and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Maybe that's where your sick mind is going. I don't know. But, but maybe there's something else. Maybe it's if you could be the CEO of a multinational corporation and you're the dude that is making decisions, maybe that's your pretend. Or maybe to be a political, incredible, huge king or emperor, where people come from other countries just to hear what you have to say. I don't know what your pretend is, but in our quiet moments, sometimes we all have that kind of daydream. Well, what you and I as adults maybe just daydream about, there was a man who didn't just daydream about all of those things. He did them. Every one of those things. In fact, by today's standards in our economy, he would not be a billionaire. He would be a trillionaire. Really. In real life, he would be a trillionaire. He had people. He had politicians. He had a thousand women who would do whatever he wanted them to do. 
People made journeys to his city just to listen to what he had to say. So don't you think it might be valuable for us to glean just a little bit from this dude's life? It might give us insight if he would give us some some advice. Now, as you know, because we're in this series, Respect the Beard, we're particularly focusing in on Solomon, King Solomon. And he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. He wrote a bunch of the Proverbs. But I want to give you a little backstory before we even get started. He was the third king of Israel, and he followed, you know, his, his father, King David. He had a great conversation with God. And, and he, God says, okay, dude, what is it that you want? And he says, I want wisdom. <laughs> and so because he asked for wisdom, and he didn't ask for fame, and he didn't ask for money, God gave him the whole bundle. This is the beginning of bundling. You know, the cable, phone, and never mind. Anyway, you know, he put it all together and gave him the entire package. So by the time he is writing the book of Ecclesiastes, get your mind around this, he's an old man. He's an old man. He has done what people tend to do in their twilight years. He evaluates his life, and he evaluated his decisions, good or bad. And so here's the book of Ecclesiastes. The old man, Solomon, is coming clean. He's coming clean, and he's given the truth about life, the real thing about life. And it probably is different than how you and I think. That's why I love this book. Because how we think about money, how we think about possessions, how we think about pleasure, how we think about recreation, how we think about power and achievement and all those things might just be quite a bit different than the old man Solomon tells us. Because I want that kind of advice from somebody who says, done that, been there, got the t-shirt, and that's King Solomon. So respect the beard. Respect his words. And let's look at what kind of wisdom he has for us right here, right now. And whatever you were thinking about as you came into this place, I want you to put, you know, his wisdom to the front burner of your thinking. Because it's, it's huge. We have a tendency, in fact, let me even preface this. I want us to think in terms of what Solomon's take is on money. And Simply, I'm only want to talk about two things this morning. What money can't do and what money can do. So we'll leave here with something, I think, very, very simple. We have a tendency, all of us, to think about money is the answer to all of our problems. And I'll tell you, I don't care how much you've grown in your relationship with God and so on. We all fall into that camp from time to time. We think in terms of just a little bit more money will be able to take care of all of our problems. And some money, <laughs> absolutely, will. it will help you in the parenting process to a, to a degree. 
Of course, it'll help in the area of healthcare to agree, no, no, no doubt about it. But it's not the ultimate answer. In fact, the National Endowment for Financial Education estimates that 70% of people who had unexpectedly come into large sums of money will end up being broke in seven years. I mean, it's not my words, that's the statistics. And we think the solution to the distance that is happening in our families or, or the distance that's happening between you and your kids is money. We just think we had just a little bit more, then they'd really be happy. We absolutely think it's the answer to depression. Do you ever overspend when you're down? <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. God will bless your hands. <laughs> it, it's true. It's, it tends to be that way. As a matter of fact, 49.5% of people, according to a survey by the University of Minnesota, people who have financial problems can be classified as depressed. Depression spending is a real thing. So, with that kind of introduction, here's my question. What is it that money can't do? Number one, if you're taking notes, money can't satisfy. It just can't. Solomon discusses the, the use and the misuse and abuse of money. In fact, to coin an Italian proverb, are you ready for this? It says this, money is a good servant, but a bad master. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6, 21. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, God understands that the use of our money and our positions may be the single greatest indicator of the condition of our heart. The single best indicator of the condition of our heart. This is how King Solomon, the old man, who's had it all, seen it all, done it all, puts it in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Talk about somebody who had been there and talking out of experience of making bad, bad decisions in his life. Look at what the message paraphrase says of that same passage. The one who loves money is never satisfied with money, nor the one who loves wealth with big profits. More smoke. The more loot you get, the more looters show up. And what fun is that? To be robbed in broad daylight. Hard and honest work earns a good night's sleep, whether supper is beans or steak. But a rich man's belly gives him insomnia. Don't you love the way that says? 
So I'm going to give you a few things under the fact that money doesn't satisfy. I'm going to write them down or it's in your notes there. Here we go. Number one, the more we have, according to this passage, the more we want. And that is why it doesn't satisfy. The more we have, the more we want. Solomon says that money is not the secret of happiness. And he should know it is addictive and it is unsatisfying. This is what the verse says. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. And it's important to notice a word that is used twice in the text in that one verse. And it's the word love. Love. You see, money, as you probably know intuitively, is not the problem. Rather, it is the love of money that is the issue in most lives. In fact, it's been said, money makes a lousy lover. The more you love it, the less it satisfies. The more you focus on it, the less it delivers. And I'll tell you, there are people nodding all through the the room here. Because you know it. We've experienced this. Yet most Americans tend to think, if I had more money, I could marry the person of my dreams, I could build my dream house, I could get a certain promotion, a position, I could gain that influence, I could solve a certain problem. If I didn't have to do something, then I'd be so much more happy. Now you've heard of J.D. Rockefeller, John Rockefeller. How much money did he want? This is what he answered. Just a little bit more. How much is enough according to him? Just a little bit more. But it accurately describes many of us in the room. Unfortunately, whether we care to admit it or not, this is so true of many followers of Jesus. We fall in, we develop just a love of money or a love of, of abundance. And Solomon is saying, the old man here, take it from me. I'm a guy who had it all. And he says, it just doesn't do it. It doesn't satisfy. Now, I've been around us all here at North Valley for a long time. So I hope I've developed a little bit of a trust with you. And so I'm just going to be so honest with you. If that, is that okay? The problem is we don't believe the old man. We don't. We come to church and, yeah, I think it would be different for me. I mean, I understand what Solomon is saying, but I think I would be the exception. We wouldn't be miserable. I would be happy. But let me ask you this. Do you think most people well-known in Hollywood are happy? Do you know that most people in Hollywood, also most professional athletes, struggle more in abuse, whether it's drug abuse or whether it's abuse of finances and all the rest, than any other segment of society? It's inescapable. And this is what he says. He goes on and he says, 
All of this concerning money is habel, H-A-B-E-L. That's the Hebrew word. It means vanity, but it also means empty. It means meaningless. It means uh, uh, um, fruitfulness, unfruitfulness. Let me give you a second point. The more we have, the more we spend. Solomon says that when you have a lot of money, you tend to spend a lot of money. Verse 11 says, when good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what's the advantage to their owners except to look on? So in other words, a person who comes to wealth usually suddenly, all of a sudden discovers he has long lost relatives. I didn't know you were my cousin. Yeah, I didn't, it just happened. I, didn't you love the message? That's why I put the message paraphrase up there. Listen to this. You know, the more loot you get, the more looters show up. I, wow, I just love that. That really kind of connects with me. In other words, to put it very delicately, more money tends to bring out parasites and leeches. Seriously. The bottom line is it takes a lot of people to manage wealth, to manage a growing business, to manage property. There are bankers, brokers, financial consultants, lawyers, tax consultants, accountants, household employees, bodyguards, sponging relatives. And people can't take care of their wealth all by themselves. They become dependent on other people. And the sadly ironic thing is that it takes more money because you got more workers to help make, distribute, protect, and so on. Therefore, you and I need to make sure that we don't fall into the trap of believing if you and I had just a little bit more, it will solve all of our problems. Because the more people that know you've got the money, there is a greater possibility of more people resenting you for it. Money really is a good servant, but it is a bad master. Let me give you a third thing. The more we have, the more we worry. Wealth doesn't bring peace or rest that we think sometimes it will. In fact, according to this king, King Solomon, the old man, he says it promotes insomnia. The sleep of a working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. Solomon observed in real life that a person who works hard and sometimes only has the basic necessities, they sleep so well. And according to him, no matter how much they have to eat, and I've traveled all over the world. I've traveled, I've been to India five times. Uh, tomorrow I leave for El Salvador. I've been there before. I've been all over the place. And some of the happiest people I have ever seen and the most hospitable are the people who grow up on the street and live in an area on the sidewalk generationally, one generation after another. I'll be walking down the street and those people who don't even know me are always offering me something. Now I don't eat it. In, unless it's tea and it's really hot. 
But you understand what I'm saying. Stuff does not bring peace. It often brings more anxiety. My son, Jason, owns a company, uh, Keenly Interactive. Uh, I asked him to put together a video that maybe might communicate stuff. Take a look at it. Life is full of stuff to deal with. Good stuff and bad stuff. And everything in between. Your boss, your ex, your bills, the in-laws, the rent, the car, the kids, your marriage. Work in the DVR. School, health, stress. Getting enough food, enough rest, enough credit, enough money. Relationships, baggage, hurts, abuse, divorce, hang-ups. Childhood, teachers, parents, insomnia, interest rates, traffic cameras, winning and losing, running out of soap, out of cash, out of time, out of hope. Sound familiar? Or should I keep going? Do you feel tired, shortchanged, alone? Do you think that you're the only one with this stuff? Everyone around you has stuff. Some is different, some is the same as yours, but everyone is dealing with all of their stuff. What does it mean? Why all the stuff? Is God mad at you? Or are you just bad at this? Turns out it's neither. All this trouble with your stuff only makes you normal. Nobody can do this. Everyone has stuff that makes them a mess. Nobody has it together. We act like we do, but none of us are really fooling anyone. Because it seems easier than talking, than listening, than helping, than really knowing each other. Nobody can do this alone. We need God and we need each other. So how about we all agree to stop pretending? Everybody already knows anyway. And after all, it's just stuff. <laughs> I'll tell them you applauded. <laughs> you know, you think about it. You started out owning things. But you've got to be careful that the transition doesn't switch and things begin to own you John Rockefeller I mentioned him before his life was almost ruined by his stuff by his wealth at age 53 he could only eat milk and crackers and he had insomnia but something happened at age 53 he began to give his money away a lot of it where he lived on a little less than 10% of everything that he made. And he went on to live to 98 years old. Somehow he understood what money can't do, and he learned what money can do. What money can do, are you ready? Write it down. Money can make a major impact. Having money is not a bad thing. It is an awesome thing if it's used wisely to provide for your family and for your church and for your community and for other people. It says in Luke chapter 8 verses 1 through 3, and, and you may have, uh, have never thought about this. Did you know how did Jesus support his ministry? You ever think about that? Listen to this. In, in this passage, it says this. Soon after, afterward, he went through the cities, villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, uh, whom seven demons had gone out, and Jonah, the wife of Chusa, 
um, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others who, are you ready for it? Provided them, provided for them out of their means. You ever seen that before? There were people who followed Jesus that took care of the ministry. They used their money to do that. Paul says this in chapter 4 of Philippians. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into a partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for the need, my needs once and again. And listen to this. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So how, in these last 10 minutes here, how can you make an impact? Here we go. I want to address some of you, not all of you. And you can kind of self-identify yourself. This time, I want to talk about the percentage of you who would say to me, you really, really, really love your church. Okay? You really, really love, you know, you love what we're doing at North Valley with your students. You, you love what we're doing in Sunday school. You love the Sunday morning experience. You love the small groups. You love all of the things we're doing. And you would really say, you may not have used those words, but in your heart of hearts, you say, I love my church. Now, some of you may be visiting, you know, this is like a first date, okay? And, and you don't fall in love, you know, the first date. Any of you guys fall in love the first date? Oh, never mind. And anyway, you know, this is kind of a first date for you, so I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to those that just really, really, really love your church. But you don't have a plan to support the church you love. It's kind of nice being on the teaching team, and I can share some things, and I'm gone next week. <laughs> so if you don't love the church, you know, here, this part of the message isn't for you. You're just checking it all out. I hope you fall in love with the church. But if you do, I want you to take a look at a few things. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, Paul is talking, he says, each one, that's of us, of followers of Jesus, must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Isn't this an interesting word? Has purposed in their heart. In other words, purpose has to do with intentionality. Purpose has to do with strategy. And if I were to say, what is your plan for financially supporting the church you love? And you're not what I call a percentage giver. In other words, you haven't decided. You just, you just haven't decided. You know you, uh, you know, you don't show up on Sunday and you're prepared and, 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 and so on, and all the different ways that we at North Valley can, can, can ask people to give and so on. So that's who I want to talk to. But let me preface it this way. Let me ask you this. What do you call a father who says, I love, 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 love my children, but I don't give them anything? Unless they're down to one sock. When they're down to one sock, then I'll give them something. What do you call a father like that? You call them a bad dad. So... What do you call a follower of Jesus? 
who says, I really love, love, love my church. I love what my church provides. I love what the church does for this community and for my kids, but I don't support on a regular basis. What do you call that person? You call him an average Christian. You thought I was going to say something else. And the reason I say that, you may not know what the statistics are, but the statistics have shown that only 30% of every church regularly give. And I know it's hard to believe, but the statistics say this. And the fact that our church can do what it does on that kind of percentage astounds me. It absolutely astounds me. I, I'm in different places all over the world. I have never seen something like this. I, it's so awesome. You know, I get giddy when I drive in here. It's amazing. But can I just share with you some of the reasons why somebody who loves their church doesn't have a plan? These are just ideas and thoughts. Number one, they never thought about it before. It's simple, but it's true. And so now for some of you, I've put something in the back of your mind that you've never really thought of before. And I just want you to kind of think about it. And by the way, I'm not asking for how much. I'm just asking you to, to think about it, to embrace it. I'm not telling you what to do. I just, it's a fair question. It's a fair question to say, well, what's your plan? And you should have an answer to that, especially if you love your church. Here's the second reason. You haven't taken time to create a plan. You hear a message like this and you say, yeah, 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 you're right. It's kind of spontaneous and, and, and you're right, Bob. I should take some time to set up a plan and you sit down and decide, how am I going to do it? Well, if you don't do it, this is what's going to happen. You ready? If you don't have a plan, number one, you're going to save too little. You're going to spend too much. And you're going to end up giving leftovers. So here's the deal. That's just not us. That's not us. I think God wants us to, to give and to save and to live. That's what he wants. And, and if you are 35 years old or older, you wish you could go back to your 20-somethings and give first, save second, and live on the rest. Because you know what? You'd have more money. You'd have more money today if you began doing this back then. And here's the deal. This isn't about the church getting your money. It really isn't. And it's not about the church needing your money. It's just that I want you to be great Christians. Great Christians. And here's the third reason people think that their church needs the money. Or they don't think the church needs the money. Now listen to this. Some of you are here today and you used to go to another church. And they really, really needed your money. And how do you know that? It's because every time somebody was standing up here, you were hammered 
all the time. And there was special this and special that and special this and all those kind of things. Some churches passed the plate two or three times. And you may have noticed, if you're part of North Valley, we don't do it. We don't do it very much at all. But now you're in a church that doesn't often talk about money. So here's a thought. You don't want to attend a church that needs your money. And you won't give to a church that doesn't need your money, which means you never plan to give a church money that you actually attend. So I'm asking a question. Do you do business with companies that need your money? Or do you frequent businesses that provide great goods and great services? When you hear, I remember years ago when Circuit City was going out of business. Did I gather all my friends together and say, hey, shop at Circuit City because we want them to stay in business? No. I went to Best Buy because I didn't care. Here's the question. Why would you treat Disney or Starbucks better than the church you love? Because here's the deal. When your family's hurting, or your marriage is hurting, or there's something major happening in your life, you don't call up Mickey and say, I got a problem. You call here. And listen to this, you know what? They don't look up your giving records and say, oh, yeah, they, I, We'll help them, but won't help them. Uh Uh-uh. You know why? It's irrelevant. We're the church. That's what we do. And so my whole passion for this whole message to respect the wisdom of the beard of an old man, Solomon, is for you to think in a different way about the impact money can have. Here's the deal. If our church, and I have no idea what people give or percentage or anything like, I'm just talking about average church. But if our church is doing all that it's doing on literally 30% of people, come here, this is really important. Can you imagine if everybody leaned in, well, I've never done this before, but I'm going to give a percentage. It may be 1%. I don't care. But you've leaned into something you've never done. Can you imagine that our high school ministry will move to, from one size to 200? Could you imagine instead of 600 people that we, we deal with and, and minister to on a regular basis, could you imagine 6,000? I can. I can. I want you to live an abundant life beyond what you can ask, think, or imagine. I don't want you to be average. I don't want you to have an average kids. I don't want you to have average marriage. I don't want you to have go I don't want you to go on average vacations. And I certainly don't want you to be an average follower of Jesus. So here we are. And I simply ask the question.
because it's fair. What are you going to do in response to what money can do in your life? Hey, pray with me, okay? Well, God, I just thank you for this passage. It's kind of a cool passage. And I ask in Jesus' name that you would somehow, in some way, just be speaking to all of our hearts. Lord, you're speaking to my heart. And I pray that this was engaging enough and thought-provoking enough that you might move every one of us in this room from maybe the place where we are to the place where you want us to be, whatever it might be. And we'll just thank you for the wisdom of an old man, Solomon, who made a whole lot of bonehead decisions. And now he's sharing with us the wisdom of making good and bad decisions. We thank you in advance. Pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.